I've spent the last week and a little bit more thinking about and reading about and watching all kinds of videos about emotional and verbal abuse. And I have to say that I feel dirty and my soul hurts this morning. It's a harsh reality that we live in a world where evil speaks through the mouths of the people that are supposed to love us most. And it reaches into our souls. It bruises us and it tarnishes our self-worth. On the inside, we're broken and torn up and raw, and on the outside, we try to cover it up and mask it with a, a pretty face so that others will approve of us. Abuse of all kinds is horrendous. Whether it's sexual abuse or physical violence or financial control or spiritual and cultural manipulation, maybe psychological or emotional or even words that wound. All abuse is harmful. All abuse damages, and all abuse is sin. Relational abuse is a power dynamic. It's when one person exercises power over another to control and manipulate. It's manifested when a strong person physically harms a weak person, when a parent yells or shoves or or even neglects their child, when a boss denigrates their employee, when the cool kid calls that other kid names, when a wife manipulates her husband, when a husband publicly humiliates his wife. Like many Seventh-day Adventist churches around the world, we're emphasizing this End It Now movement, a global call by the Seventh-day Adventist church to end violence of all kinds. And one of those types of violence is emotional abuse, and the most prevalent form of emotional abuse are words that wound, verbal abuse. And we'd like to think that all the people sitting next to us, all those nice people that we know that have smiling faces on Sabbath, and every time we meet them at Andy's Market or some grocery store, they're, they're happy to see us. We'd like to think that when they go home, they're just as nice to their family. But... Research, even inside our own church in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and throughout other Christian denominations, suggests similar results. But research in our congregation says that 39% of the females surveyed had been abused by the time they were 18. 35% of males had experienced emotional abuse by that time as well. That's one in three. One in three. That means on your pew there's been somebody who has been harmed or has harmed someone else with emotional abuse. Although violence impacts everyone, men, women, children, elderly, by far women, children, and elderly get the brunt of the harmful, non-fatal physical, sexual, and psychological abuse. One in four adults reports having been physically abused as children. One in five women reports having been sexually abused as a child. One in three women has been a victim of physical or sexual violence by an intimate partner at some time in their life. One in 17 older adults reports having experienced abuse within the last month. 
women report higher rates of lifetime exposure to things like rape and physical violence and stalking than men do. I want to tell you a story about Mary. Mary was trying to get her courage up. She was trying to be bold because she needed to tell her husband something. She wanted to tell her that she was going back to school for further education. My, my trusty iPad has decided not to be trusty, so I'm going to let the guys in the back do that, and I'm going to change to my other notes. She wanted to get her, her husband to agree that she should get further education, but when she finally got her courage up and decided to tell him, do you know what he responded? What? Why would you even consider that? You failed the last courses you took. You're obviously not going to make it this time. You'll never last through the program. We're not wasting our money on that. No punches were thrown, but wounds were created. This is a classic example of intimate partner verbal and emotional abuse. And the sad thing is that spouses like Mary may not even realize they're in an abusive situation. Let alone, let alone know how to deal with it. And, and my question to you is, do you understand, can you recognize when someone is or when you are experiencing abuse? Do you know those signs? And also, what does the Bible say about it? Because we need to have a word from God today. Would you agree? We, we, we want to understand this from God's perspective. And so, we're going to dive into both of those questions. What is abuse and what do we do about it? as well as what does the Bible say about abuse. We need to define emotional abuse before we do anything else. And um, if you list kind of its characteristics, it's something like this. Emotional and verbal abuse can be any treatment that may diminish the identity, dignity, and self-worth of someone. In other words, emotional abuse is speech or behavior that is controlling, derogating, punishing, or manipulative. It includes insults, attempts to scare or isolate or control you, and it also is often the precursor to physical violence. There are also other aspects of emotional abuse, things like withholding love or withholding communication, that good old silent treatment that uh, we know so well. Also withholding support or money and indirect methods of controlling and maintaining power. All of these things are types of, you might say, passive-aggressive abuse. It's the wolf in sheep's clothing, the, the covert hostile in your family. Abusive behavior dictates where you go, to whom you talk, or what you think. It's the one thing, it, sorry, it's one thing if you um, communicate to somebody else. You know, if you buy that um, bedroom set, we won't have any money to go on vacation later this year. That, that's healthy communication. There's nothing wrong with that. But quite another to say, you can't spend any money and cut up your credit cards. One is healthy communication and negotiation, and the other is an exercise of power to manipulate and control. Unlike physical abuse, emotional abuse has no visible symptoms and is often challenging to detect. You may not think that you're being abused if you're not being hurt physically, but emotional and verbal abuse can have short-term and long-lasting impacts on your life. 
An emotionally abused person often feels invisible and insignificant, which can leave a more lasting scar than physical abuse. A family counselor explains it this way. Physical abuse says you aren't worth it. But emotional abuse says you don't even exist. You're not even a person. You're not unique. Isaiah 58 is uh, one of these texts that we, you know, Isaiah 58, 13, right? It's one of these texts that we use to uh, defend the Sabbath, right? We need to keep the Sabbath because God says, uh, don't keep trampling your foot on the Sabbath, my holy day, but, and doing your own pleasure and stuff, but call it a delight, the holy of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, and I'll bless you. Isn't that fantastic? We got to keep the Sabbath, guys. You know, we are a a Seventh-day Adventist church. That's why we're meeting today. But you might be surprised that even though that message exists to an extent in Isaiah 58, it's an entirely different context than proving whether we should keep the Sabbath or not. Isaiah 58 is very relevant for dealing with the subject of abuse today because it's all about hypocrisy and injustice. Let's read a few verses from it. We're going to read Isaiah 58, 1 through 7 to just get an idea of this context. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We've fasted for you, they say. Why why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves. You, You won't even take notice of it. I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling, hitting with a wicked fist? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. Humble yourselves by doing, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your head like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and, to hide, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. I, I use the New Living Translation because it really helps to bring some of those ideas to our experience today. But uh, do you mind if I also share a paraphrase of that? It's my own paraphrase. It, it, uh, I think, tries to connect the dots with the subject of emotional abuse. And and I don't think this is adding to or taking away from the Bible. This is just me summarizing in modern language, all right? So let's let's, uh, read this more modern idea. You're acting religious to please yourself. Do you ever do that? Do you ever do religious things because it makes you feel better? Even while you wear nice clothes to church and share your bits of wisdom in Sabbath school and talk piously about how you told someone a Bible verse, you're abusing your employees, beating your wife and children, and gossiping. When you bow your head to pray, you might as well be dried up cattail fluff bending in the wind. You ever seen cattails? You know that fluffy stuff? 
I've heard that you can eat it. I don't know how. Seems pretty worthless to me, but, but it's almost like, you know, God is saying to the Israelites, you're bowing your heads like you're doing some great thing by, by kneeling down and bowing prostrate before God or something like this, but you might as well be dried up cattail fluff, worthless and not accomplishing anything. You dress all modestly as though that will please me, but that's not the religious devotion I have asked from you. I have asked you to free those who are experiencing oppression and abuse, to offer your own help to lighten the burdens of your spouse, to be tender and graceful toward your children, to provide for the needs of those who I've put in your care, and to help those around you who are hungry and needing clothing and shelter. And after saying all this about injustice and hypocrisy, God ends up getting down to the Sabbath idea. But you know what He says? He, sa he says, stop doing your own pleasure on my holy day. It's my day, He says. Stop doing your thing. And what's your thing? What's your pleasure according to the context? Well, it's religious hypocrisy. It's these uh, hypocritical prayers and these, this empty uh, fasting and this uh, daily trek to the temple, all these pious visits to church. That's the your own pleasure that God's describing. And instead, He says, do my pleasure, do my will on my day. And what's God's pleasure? Jesus said it well when He said the two greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This command rings through Christianity, and it tears down the hypocritically pious, and it lays in the dust all our supposedly righteous rules about how we should act as Christians. And, and it makes us realize that unless we are loving first, nothing else matters. All your religiosity is of no consequence. I make this statement knowing that it's significant because I just said all the rules about how we live as Christians are of no consequence if we are not loving. And, and I think I've got good grounds to say this because the Bible says, on these two commands, love God and love your neighbor, hang all the law and the prophets Everything else we do stems from this. And if you go home leaving church to, uh, you know, you're looking and acting right, but you go home and you, you abuse your family, you got no leg to stand on spiritually. To be a Christian is to love your neighbor. How do you know if you're being abused? I'd like to talk to, to those of you who've experienced some kind of abuse, but specifically emotional abuse. I know there's quite a few of you in the room, and I, I recognize there's some of you that have no clue what we're talking about today. It, it's beyond your experience, goes over your head, but, but that's okay. Bear with me, and I hope that it'll develop a little bit of compassion in you. So, how do you know if you've been experiencing emotional abuse? If you have never experienced it, then you don't understand how control and manipulation uh, can shroud your soul in ambivalence and keep you from really realizing what's going on. An abused person doesn't even recognize there is a different reality. 
It's not always easy to define abuse in your own experience and to call it out and recognize it. So I want to define it, but before we can say what it is, let's say what it's not. Uh, it is not the normal conflict between two people. People need to have their own opinions. They need to be able to express their own thoughts. And so if you have some conflict in your marriage or in, you know, between a, a parent and a child, that's not a bad thing. That's just two people being two people and negotiating relationship. What it is is an intentional dominance dynamic to, that's used to gain power and to keep the other person under the other person's control. That's emotional abuse. So I want to do a self-test. Uh, so I'll read through a few things, and as I go through it, recognize that this is really I identifying emotional abuse between intimate partners. Uh, so spouses, um, boyfriend, girlfriend, that, that's the kind of context that we're talking about. But some of these things also apply um, in, in other environments. Uh, the first one is uh, they want you to, they want, wants to know what you're doing all the time and wants you to be in constant contact. The second one would be they demand passwords to things like your phone, email, and social media. Now, young people, that doesn't mean if your parents are controlling your social media access that they're, they're, con they're manipulating you and they're being abusive. No, that's, there is a certain realm of, of control that parents exercise over children to help you grow. Uh, but it can be abused as well. Uh, but don't throw that in your parents' face and say, Pastor Jason said that you can't control my media. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I'm saying. They act uh, very jealously, including constantly accusing you of cheating. They prevent you or discourage you from seeing friends and family. They try to stop you from going to work or school. They get angry in a way that frightens you. They control your finances or how you spend your money. They stop you from seeing a doctor. They humiliate you in front of others. They call you insulting names, stupid, disgusting, worthless, fat. They threaten to hurt you or people you care about or your pets. They threaten to call the authorities to report you for wrongdoing. They threaten to harm themselves when they're upset with you. They say things like, if I can't have you, then no one can. Or they decide things for you, like what you'll eat or what you'll wear. If you're experiencing emotional abuse and you recognize some of these symptoms in your own relationship, then I want you to know that I have a word from God for you. God wants to talk directly to you. Don't, don't even realize there's anybody else in the room. We're, we're just having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, and I want to share God's word with you. Maybe you're the wife of a man who controls your finances, your friends, and your freedom and tells you that you're worthless, you're good for nothing. Maybe you're the husband of a woman who neglects you and criticizes you and makes demands uh, and manipulates you. Maybe you're the employee of a boss who says filthy things to and about you. Maybe you're the child of a father or mother who says that they wish you were never born or that you'll never amount to anything. Maybe you're the older parent of a child who neglects your needs or who tells you that they wish that you'd die already so they wouldn't have the burden of your care. To you, God speaks hope. 
God speaks, first of all, through His church. And I want to stand here as a representative of this church, but we are all part of it. We are all members. And I want, I want you to know that we stand with you, that we are here to listen, and we will listen, that we are here to believe you, and we will believe you. And we're here to stand to defend your honor and your dignity and your personhood. We're here for you. God speaks through us. But secondly, God speaks through His Word, and He says, I have called you by name. You are mine. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Praise you. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them well. For we are God's masterpiece. This is the New Living Translation. I love how he, he, it says that. It's not just God's workmanship. We didn't come off His workbench haphazardly. No, we're His masterpiece. He designed you. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans of good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. And this last one, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. God knows you. He sees you. And He wants to speak value into your life. No matter what others say about you, you were created in nobility. You are the son. You are the daughter of a king. Not just a king of America, because we don't have one, but the king of the universe, the creator of everything, says, you are my child. That's your identity. That's your value. You are noble. No matter what you think about yourself, because emotional abuse begins outside, but then starts to weave its web of lies inside your mind, and you start to tell yourself those same things, I'm worthless, I'm stupid, I'm this, I'm that. Now, and I don't care what you say about yourself, what lies you might tell yourself. God says you're a masterpiece. He designed you and He loves it. No matter what anyone says about your future, God says He has designed you for greatness. You're not powerless. You're not alone. There is hope for your future. If you're currently experiencing some form of abuse, there are things that you can do. I'd like to share five things that counselors suggest that are ways that we can respond to emotional abuse. The first is to study the emotionally abusive behaviors and tactics of your abuser and, and learn how you can be assertive in that context. It's important to confront the abuser kindly and firmly. Know who you're dealing with. Understand their tactics and techniques. Manipulators, they understand your triggers and what's going on inside you. It's important to understand that their intent is to control you, not have a conversation with you. So abuse is used as a tactic to manipulate and have power over you. When you focus on the content, you'll fall into this trap of trying to respond rationally and defend yourself. And uh, the abuser is pretty much one at that point. Uh, 
they've deflected the responsibility of their verbal abuse onto you. So don't engage with that. Learn their tactics and learn to be assertive. Now, I want to I want to put a note in here that this is not intended to be the, the right response to physical or sexual abuse because if you're being physically abused, then if you assert yourself in this way, probably it's only going to make your plight worse. The best thing to do in that environment is to find somebody who can help you be removed from that situation of abuse. In emotional abuse, you can set healthy boundaries. And... Uh, I just want to say, Christ set boundaries, didn't he? We can set boundaries in our lives. We have permission to be our own person, even inside a marriage setting. We're not, we don't abandon our, our individuality. And so, to set boundaries around what you're willing to accept and what you're willing to, to uh, be done and, and how you're willing to be treated, those are, are appropriate things for us to do. We need to manage our side of the fence, though, not the other person. We don't take uh, our abused, victimized situation and then become the abuser by trying to control the other person's side of the fence. No, just set boundaries on your side. So, for example, uh, if you're driving in the car with uh, some, a spouse that's got road rage, instead of saying, can you please slow down when you're driving? What you might say instead is, Stop driving like that, or I won't travel with you. Set a boundary, make it clear, assert yourself in that environment. Now, in some cases, verbal abuse is best addressed with a forceful statement, something like, stop it. Don't talk to me that way. Don't raise your voice like that. Don't call me names. Don't use that tone with me. I don't respond to orders and in this way, you set a boundary about, uh, around yourself about what you're willing to receive and what you're willing to accept. And, and maybe your abuser will say something like, or what, and challenge you as though they're, they're wanting to maintain their control. And what you can simply say is, I'm, I'm not going to continue this conversation. Step away. You remove their power over you. The third point is that you build your own self-worth and self-respect. Emotional abuse, its hallmark is that it chips away at your self-worth, and you begin to feel that you're, you are what others say you are. Remember that, first of all, your experience of abuse is not caused by you. It's not your fault. Now, I want to say all of us have faults, right? All of us are imperfect. There's none of us that are perfect, but what someone else chooses to do to you is their choice. It's their fault. It is not yours. Don't internalize that and say, well, I deserve it because I fill in the blank. It's not your fault. So, instead, recognize that what they're saying about you is, is a lie and that God has something more valuable, more true to say to you. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. You know, Christ would have come and died just for you. 
If no one else on the earth existed, you are so valuable to him that he would have given his all for you. You're the apple of his eye. And, and knowing that, the child of a king, the, the prize of his life, you can stand up and you can speak up and you can, you can be your own person. Allow God to build your self-esteem. The fourth point is that you can seek immediate help from a professional counselor. If you're in immediate danger, please call 911. Call the police. Tell them what's going on. Explain how you're being treated and let them help you. In the bulletin, there's a little flap on the side. It's got a dotted line, and the intention is for you to tear it off and take it home with you. Some people might feel like that's a, a bad thing to do in church because there's going to be some noise when you tear it off. It's okay. You don't have to be completely silent here. Even an amen every once in a while would be acceptable. Um, but, but tearing this off is act absolutely appropriate. It's what we designed it for. So if there's a hotline on here or some place that, that um, you need to interact with, then please take this home with you. I also want to point out that as the church leaders, we've, we've found um, some safe people in the valley. So if you want to find somebody locally that you can connect with personally, please call, even if you want to anonymously, call our, um, our office and ask for a safe person. Or if you're, you're um, able to, you can come and talk to one of the pastors and we can give you one of their phone numbers. Um, now, if you, if you call this moment, one of the pastors, um, they don't have all of those numbers yet, so I'm, I'm emailing them out this evening, so um, they should have them shortly, but we've, we've uh, found a couple health professionals that can help us with this. Once you take back your power and regain your self-esteem, you won't be allowing others to abuse you. If the, the abuse be, if the abuse stops, then there'd be an opportunity for that relationship to, to begin to heal. But I want you to understand that when you go and seek personal counseling, it shouldn't start with couples counseling. I mean, imagine yourself, you go in the same car as your spouse, you, you sit in front of the counselor, can you be honest can you really tell them what's going on in your life with the abuser sitting right there? And then you, you have to endure the same belittling and the same um, name-calling and the same disgusting treatment all the way home. It, it just, it's not a good idea. It's not healthy. So start with yourself. Be, take yourself to counseling. Get help for yourself. And, and then if the abuser is willing to seek help on their own and start to correct their behavior... And if that abuse stops, then you can go together as, as a couple and do couples counseling. The last point of ways that you can help uh, and you can grow is to seek comfort and healing and wisdom from God. When you think of emotional abuse, you have to recognize that, that your mind begins to be filled with cobwebs of lies. You can't trust your own thoughts about yourself anymore. What you need is the Holy Spirit to speak truth. And that's what the Bible does all the way through it. It talks about God's relating to you and how he designed you. And, 
And you need to take all of those messages that I shared earlier and, and you need to internalize them and let the Holy Spirit speak truth to your life. And if you need to do it every day, then find a book of promises and do it every day. Let God speak truth into your own heart. Ellen White says in The Desire of Ages, he says, I know your tears. I also have wept. The grieves that lie too deep to be breathed into any human ear, I know. Think not that you are desolate and forsaken. Though your pain touches no responsive cord in any heart on earth, look unto me and live. I've been talking to those of you who've experienced abuse, but for every abuse victim, there's an abuser. And I recognize that there are some of you in this room that have begun to think about your own experiences, and you've realized, I am abusive, and, and I've, I've been behaving badly towards the people that I should be loving. If you're realizing that, then don't dismiss it. Don't say, well, no, no that can't be. I'm such a pious person. Don't, don't dismiss it. Don't justify it, saying things like, well, they deserve it, or um, I'm the spiritual leader, and I need to draw them towards Christ, even if it hurts them. Don't justify it. And, and certainly, don't dismiss it. I'll deal with it later. It's not that big of a deal. No. Today, when you hear this message, when you're called to repentance, today is the day to repent. Make a choice that this is going to end, that you will not continue to be an abuser. You will not continue to hurt other people. Today, you can turn to God, and the God who forgives sin will forgive you. There are lots of people who've come out of lives of uh, uh, being abusive and harmful to other people. There, there are people who have murdered others, and God has forgiven them, and they've become loving, kind, compassionate, wonderful people to be around. I mean, isn't that what the gospel message is about, the power to save sinners? God wants to save sinners. He wants to save you. You need to surrender yourself to God. Humble yourself before His grace and allow Him to do a work in your life that will be significant. It might be painful and it'll definitely require some work. But allow God to do something in, in you. If you have been verbally or physically abusive towards your child, and I'll just address a couple different aspects of abuse here. If you've been some, somehow abusive towards a child, maybe it's your grandchild, maybe it's your children, then I'd like to encourage you to make a commitment today to attend our Love and Logic seminar. It begins with Dr. Foster Klein on October 21st, all day Sunday. Mark it in your calendars. If there's something else going on, some vacation that you've planned, some work trips, some whatever. If you've been negatively uh, relating to your child, just cut whatever else it is out of your schedule and make sure this time is available for Love and Logic. It's a fantastic program that will help you to develop godly, loving children and to turn your negative ways of relating to your children into positive ones, building, upbuilding things. If you've been verbally or physically abusive to your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse, then please make a commitment today to repent of your actions. And that, that repentance begins by saying, I'm sorry to God. 
recognize your sin and repent to God. But it also means that you need to apologize to your significant other. You need to say, I'm sorry. But, but it, I'm sorry is not where it ends. That's just the first step. The second step is to immediately seek help from somebody, uh, a counselor of some sort. And I know, especially us guys, we're like, oh, I don't need a counselor. I'm a man. That's, that's not how men act. That's how boys act. Men say, I need help. The best leaders are the leaders that surround themselves with people who do things better than they do. And if you're, if you're feeling like, oh, I don't need help, recognize your pride. Recognize it as this, the sin it is and repent of that pride and seek help. Say, God, I need help. And, and find one of these resources. I've got some things on, on this uh, page for those who are overcoming abusive behaviors. Um, some of you are involved with pornography. I don't care what modern culture says about pornography. It, it says it's an aphrodisiac for intimate relationships. But I want to tell you that, that anything that's created out of abuse designed by the devil himself, can never be helpful in a loving relationship. Pornography harms you. The research is clear. It hurts you. It harms your spouse, and it harms your family. I want everybody to do me a favor, okay? Reach in front of you and grab the pencil. Can you do this for me? Reach in front of you, grab the pencil. Um, Turn your bullets into a blank spot, and, uh, okay, everybody do that. Now look down. Look down at your paper because you're going to write something down. I want everybody to be writing. Because, see, there's some of you that need to write down this website, gatewaytowholeness.com, and you're, about, you're afraid to do it because, you know, what will everybody think? Now, if everybody's doing it, then you can do it, right? Okay. All right, so write it down, gatewaytowholeness.com, and make a commitment that this afternoon you're going to go there and you're going to look up the resources and you're going to begin their webinar on how to overcome addiction to pornography. We need to take this scourge out of our lives, out of our families, out of our church. Some of you have, been, have harmed people so deeply that no matter how quickly or how completely you change your behavior and no matter how much love and kindness you show them, there can never be a mending of your relationship with that person. Part of repentance is accepting the consequences of your sin. If you've been controlling and manipulating someone else, you've put them in a cage, you've bound them. And God says that He has come to set the captives free. And if you have repented and turned to God, then shouldn't you be content to let them free as well? The Bible counsels us that our words are powerful. I just want to speak to everybody again. Our words are powerful. They can be a wonderful thing towards people, and they can be a terrible curse towards them. It's important that we say things well. Ephesians 4.29, our scripture verse, I'm going to read it in a few different translations, and it kind of has different words to describe these good ways of communicating. So I want to just kind of bring all of those words together as we wrap up our sermon today. The New Living Translation, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. 
The New International Version says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The New King James Version says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And then the message says this, Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. Has anybody heard something today that says, I need to improve how I speak? Can you go home and say, Every word to my children is a gift? wrapped beautifully and wonderfully that they'll just want to receive it. I I, I want to be honest with you. I have been abusive towards my children. It's not a bad thing to say because I'm recognizing reality. I'm a sinner and I'm selfish and I sometimes leverage the power I have over my little children to try to get my way. I want them to go to bed right now because I have things to do and they're taking forever. And so I might say something that's not nice to get them to do my thing. That's controlling. That's manipulative. And although I have a responsibility to develop them as a child and to hold boundaries like bedtime, right? Those are things that I have in my responsibility. I have to hold them gently because if I don't, I will hurt my kids. We can all be abusive. And so I I hope that uh, this last verse will be something you take home with you. A word, we're we're talking about words being gifts, right? A word fitly spoken is like an apple made of gold in a setting of silver. Super valuable. Your words matter. Matter. And whether you're a uh, person who's experienced abuse and you're going to leave here today to take your first steps towards healing, maybe you're an abuser that's going to take their first steps towards repentance today, or maybe you're one of those compassionate bystanders who's uh, learned some good information and will leave here to be better equipped and mobilize to help those who are suffering in our church and in the world around us. To all of us, I pray this. May the words of our mouth and the actions of our heart honor God as we share His love with one another, for this is how the world will know we are truly 